Hey, everybody. Coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about a pretty serious subject, but I'm still going to try to, I don't know, bring a couple of snorts, a little bit of laughter to it, but it's the concept of complex post-traumatic stress disorder, or CPTSD. And this is something that's become more and more widely recognized by doctors and mental health professionals over the years. And this is something that results from repeated trauma over months or years rather than from a single event. And it doesn't just have to be um, anything from, you know, from war or from uh, something as traumatic as a car crash or those sort of things. This can be long-term trauma that includes ongoing physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. So this can be a part of a, a relationship, maybe a relationship with someone who has been emotionally unavailable. Somebody who might be in a relationship with someone who has a personality disorder, such as narcissism. And so this is an important topic to bring up. And whether you are in this situation or not, Please listen, because I think you're going to identify a lot of concepts today with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, maybe even the people around you. And this might be one of those episodes where you can send to somebody and it can really help them, help them kind of feel like there, there really is hope and that there's a reason why they maybe feel stuck or some of the, the stunted emotions that they feel. So I just want to give you that heads up, but I think that you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So that and plenty more coming up on The Virtual Couch. Hey, everybody, I'll make this one quick. Now, as a therapist myself, of course, I recommend that everybody give therapy a try. Truly, we're all hanging on to some things that would be helpful to process, or there's things in our life that we might, uh, maybe we thought we'd achieve by now, or there's things that we desperately want to achieve so that we won't live a life full of regrets. Or there are people listening right now who may be noticing that their anxiety or their depression is getting a tiny bit more, let's call it amplified, the longer that it's left untreated. You owe it to yourself or those around you, to your spouse, your kids, and actually, I guess, really the most important person is you to at the very least give therapy a try. So if you're nervous about finding the right fit, if you're worried about bumping into somebody in a therapy waiting room, if you have any worries about therapy, might I recommend that you go immediately to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, all one word, and take a look at the world of online therapy. Go check out what over 500,000 people have already done before you and uh, sign up right now. Go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. You'll get the help that you need. You'll get 10% off your first month services. They have a broad range of expertise and their counselor network work, which might not be locally available in many areas. The service is available wherever you live. It's worldwide and you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You can get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you don't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Although I maintain that my waiting room is very nice and comfortable. Betterhelp.com will assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And they have therapists that, that specialize in everything, all kinds of things, OCD, anxiety, depression, they use modalities such as acceptance and commitment therapy, my favorite, and you can start communicating typically in under 24 hours. They're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Nothing awkward about that whatsoever. So uh, if you do go through betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, again, you'll receive 10% off your first month services. So what are you waiting for? You owe it to yourself and at the very least, just go check it out. Go ahead, pause the podcast right now. Go do it. I'm not going anywhere. Um, now let's get to the show. Hey, everybody. 
everybody. Thank you for tuning in to episode 184 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four, ultra marathon runner, and now co-author of the best-selling book, He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict to Answer Your Questions, in which I play the role of the expert and creator of The Path Back an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based hold the shame, become the person you always knew you could be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com, and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, I know that podcasts last forever, but if you happen to be heading there the week of what is this, Monday, February 17th, it might have a uh, coming soon sign up there because revamping the entire Pathback website. But uh, please, uh, please continue to check on a, on a daily basis and you will, you'll find the, the Pathback site up pretty soon and looking, uh, looking fresh and better than ever. And please visit Virtual Couch on Instagram. You can find the Virtual Couch page on Facebook, as well as Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapy. Go like them both. Why not? And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed some of the Virtual Couch podcast material, please do me a favor and rate and review and subscribe and all of those wonderful things to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, head over to TonyOverbay.com and please sign up there for my email newsletter, trying to be a little bit more regular about that because there's a whole lot of things that I want to share. And as a matter of fact, I do have a uh, the hidden tracks, the hidden recording of a fireside that I did in Salt Lake City a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago. And uh, if you if you sign up on TonyOverbay.com, then I'm uh, putting out a weekly email newsletter. I promise it isn't this complicated where I have a way that you can go find that link and download that for free. And uh, again, that's just head over to TonyOverbay.com and then sign up to get the newsletter. And you can uh, eventually find yourself with access to this track of um, it's called Hang In There. You're doing better than you think. And that's a fireside I did in Salt Lake City, more specifically Midvale, a few weeks ago. And let me just read a review, getting some kind of nice feedback about the reviews. So this one's really fun. It says, uh, it says fangirling out a bit um, by a woman named Holly, and I'm so grateful for this. She said, I recently emailed Tony requesting a link mentioned in his weekly email, and he took the time to personally email me back. She said, what? I'm fangirling out because this person whom I hold in such high regard took the time to reply and thank me when, is I, when it is I who should be thanking him. Uh, I'm a devoted virtual couch listener and on several occasions have found hope and comfort in his messages and his snort laugh. Thank you very much, Holly. I appreciate that. Uh, Tony's perspective and caring insight have helped our family on this journey of trial and error and forgiveness and love. If you're looking for a high-quality content from an individual truly dedicated to helping you navigate life, then look no further than the virtual couch. And, and honestly, I'm very grateful for that. And I picked that one uh, because she mentioned that um, she had requested this link in the weekly email. So I would love for you to sign up for the email newsletter and request that link as well. And I will, uh, I'll, I'll do, my, uh, do my best to uh, to thank you, um, write you back and thank you because I really do appreciate that. Okay, so this, there, and I have a little bit of a, uh, there's a reason why I'm doing the podcast today in a particular order that I am doing it, and it's because I was going to release a podcast about a very fascinating therapy technique called EMDR, and I interviewed an old high school friend of mine who does EMDR, her name's Laura Abraham, and that episode is coming up. That one's, uh, it's almost completely edited, and I can't wait to get to that. Uh, we even tell a couple of embarrassing high school stories at the very, very beginning. And, but the, the, topic of EMDR is fascinating and Laura does an incredible, 
honest to goodness, incredible job of explaining a lot about trauma. So before I got to this, uh, that podcast though, I was just reading over the weekend about just a lot of different things that I think might be interesting to do on a podcast. And I was reading an article, which is, I'm going to do an, an episode about this here in a couple of weeks as well. It was, it was a really a fascinating interview that talked about, um, over long periods of time, kind of the systematic narcissistic abuse, how it can actually change some areas of the brain, um, the hippocampus and the amygdala. And it really is just, it's really a fascinating article. And in that article, they referenced something called C, that's the letter C like Charlie, CPTSD. And I will be 100% honest. I mean, I deal with trauma and PTSD and those sort of things on pretty much a daily basis in my practice. And I wasn't familiar with CPTSD, which is short for complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So I followed an article there. You can see where this is going on understanding complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So in trying to learn a little bit more about this long-term, what uh, narcissistic abuse can do literally to the brain, I learned about this new um, topic called complex PTSD. And as you'll find when we get to the end of this article on CPTSD, they talk about one of the one of the best techniques to handle this is EMDR, which is the podcast that I was going to do today. So I thought it would be nice to kind of lay out a little bit more about what CPTSD is, and then that might make a little bit more sense when I release the episode that I did with my friend Laura, uh, fellow therapist Laura, about EMDR, So which will either happen on a bonus episode later this week or possibly at the beginning of next week. So this is a, uh, it's from Healthline, which is a great site, and I'll put the link to this in the show notes, but Healthline and it was written by Gary, uh, and, I, and I never want to be that guy that butchers names, but it's a G-I-L-L-E-S. So I, I could be Giles, it could be Gillies, but it's by Gary, G-I-L-L-E-S, and Kelly Morell. And uh, that could be Moral, as a matter of fact, as well. Kelly Morell, Kelly Morell. But Carrie and Gilly, <laughs> I'm not going to edit, uh, Carrie and Gilly. Gary and Kelly do a tremendous job in this article, and it was medically reviewed by Dr. Timothy Legg. That one I've got absolutely correct, even though there are two G's in Legg, so I don't know if I dragged that out a little bit like Legg, and I see that I just said drag in Legg, and that was pun not intended. Let me get to CPTSD. So what is complex post-traumatic stress disorder? They, they say that most people are familiar with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, which is an anxiety disorder that results from a traumatic event such as a natural disaster or a car accident. However, a closely related condition called complex post-traumatic stress disorder, or CPTSD, is becoming more widely recognized by doctors in recent years. CPTSD results from repeated trauma over months or years rather than a single event. This one kind of blew my mind because I do so much work. Again, if we even go back to my book, He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict to Answer Your Questions. That talks a lot about the the, the addict, but a, the, what we're getting great reviews for in that book is what that experience is like for the betrayed, um, for the, the, the spouse of the addict or the girlfriend of the addict or the family of the addict or, that, or the boyfriend of the addict and what that experience is like for them. And they suffer PTSD-like symptoms. Um, which include triggers, uh, various things that cause these anxiety moments. Triggers can happen out of nowhere at any time. And so it really is the, the content when I say that it's symptoms of PTSD, I feel like it really is what I'm talking about is this CPTSD, this complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So what are the symptoms? The symptoms of CPTSD usually include those of PTSD plus an additional set of symptoms. The symptoms of PTSD, first of all, let's kind of lay that out there. 
um, reliving the traumatic experience. So that can include having nightmares, having flashbacks, avoiding certain situations. You might avoid situations or activities such as large large crowds or driving that remind you of the traumatic event. And this can also include keeping yourself preoccupied to avoid thinking about the event. And um, I've actually been working with, uh, I've got a, a number of clients that not only have the betrayal piece, but I've actually worked with some people that have been in some pretty intense career paths or career choices where they maybe, let's say, they're first responders or they're um, emergency personnel or they're nurses or they're doctors or they're um, just people that have jobs where they have been in situations where there have been these kind of uh, traumatic events. And so the the avoiding of certain situations, especially if this is a, a career where you have experienced the PTSD in your career, you can see how that can be a very difficult thing where people... People will have a, a, a very difficult time going back out into the field. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with people that, especially first responders, who have a very difficult time of just responding, which that is their job. So you can see how PTSD can really affect um, someone very, very, uh, it can affect their livelihood, their living, it can affect them and their family. So they avoid certain situations. Um, changes in beliefs and feelings about yourself and others. The, the article goes on to say that this can include avoiding relationships with other people, not being able to trust others or believing that the world is very dangerous. And that last one really rung true for me as well. More so when we get into this complex post-traumatic stress disorder of even when people had very well-meaning parents growing up who were, who were overly protective of how that can over time cause people to have these changes in beliefs and feelings about themselves or others that, you know, that the world is, is nothing but a, a, a horrible, you know, dark place where you can trust no one. And if you are a parent with that kind of belief system, then you can see how you can then uh, project that onto your kids or you can maybe overly protect your kids so that then they too are scared to go into certain situations that they may need to, maybe into the job force or, or school or that sort of thing. Uh, PTSD also talks about hyperarousal. Hyperarousal refers to constantly being on alert or jittery. For example, you might have a hard time sleeping or concentrating. You also might be unusually startled by loud or unexpected noises. And that hyperarousal is something that we're, and we'll get back into that with the symptoms of CPTSD as well. But I feel like that's one of those hallmarks of, uh, of PTSD. It's that anxiety piece of PTSD where your fight or flight chemicals, the cortisol in your brain is kind of just running at an all time high. Um, There's a great book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is one that I've been dying to do a podcast on, but it is so in depth. I want to do a a multi uh, part series on that book, but The Body Keeps the Score really lays out the way that our body handles trauma and anxiety. And one of those, and I love giving this example. Um, especially because there's kind of a weird twist to this, but they talk about the visceral reaction. And so the viscera is uh, some people kind of refer to it almost as this, the lining of the gut, or it's, you know, kind of your gut, your gut feel, your viscera. So people will talk about having a visceral response or a visceral reaction. And so here's where the body is just incredible. So that viscera, that visceral reaction is actually leading ahead of logic. So here's the example I like to give. If somebody opens up my office door and you look down and it appears to be a shoelace on the ground, we're still going to kind of step back a little bit, recoil a little bit because our emotions, our viscera is leading the way. Our emotions kind of warn us so we can step back only to see that, oh my gosh, that's a shoelace. Um, The reason I kind of say that one's funny is because, and I talked about this in an episode long ago, go, but uh, literally opened my door one morning and there was a small snake that was curled up in the, the, 
uh, client who was standing there did not step on the snake, which I still don't understand how she didn't. And then my next client coming around the corner sees the snake and, uh, and I was in charge of getting, taking care of the snake. I don't like snakes. So I had to pretend that I was okay with snakes. Anyway, um, I've got some cool pictures that maybe I'll have to put that in the show notes as well. But so that hyper arousal is just that constantly being on alert or jittery. Um, thus part of the title of this book, the body keeps the score is that when we have experienced these PTSD like symptoms, our body is on high alert and, and this visceral response becomes additionally heightened so that your, your body is really thinking it's doing you a favor by looking ahead at everything, trying to warn you that there might be danger anywhere. And then also the last symptom when we're talking about PTSD in this article, they talk about somatic symptoms and these refer to physical symptoms that don't have any underlying medical cause. For example, when something reminds you of a traumatic event, you might feel dizzy or nauseated. And uh, here's how all of these are going to come together. Uh, my friend Laura, who does the episode on EMDR, which is coming up either in the next within this week or next week, she lays out an, an incredible um, example of these somatic symptoms, everything from your stomach aching and your, your you know, um, having things like diarrhea or throwing up and what that is, what the body is trying to do through those somatic symptoms. So now let's get into the symptoms of CPTSD. So complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So people with CPTSD typically have those above symptoms that we referenced along with additional symptoms, including, and man, this one I think is going to ring true for a lot of people that have maybe had prolonged exposure to traumatic events or experiences in, in traumatic relationships, maybe narcissistic relationships or narcissistic abuse, or even just even bless their heart, well-meaning parents who they had their own stuff they were dealing with. So maybe they, they were a bit overly protective. So symptoms of CPTSD, uh, lack of emotional regulation. So this refers to having uncontrollable feelings such as explosive anger or ongoing sadness. And the key there is we might have some feelings of uh, explosive anger on time to time or ongoing sadness, but it's that, that lack of emotional regulation where these things can come out of nowhere and they can sabotage our entire days, nights, weekends, weeks, but uh, being unable to emotionally or regulate one's emotions. Another, another symptom of CPTSD is changes in consciousness. So this can include forgetting the traumatic event or feeling detached from your emotions or body, which is also called disassociation. And, and I see this in a couple of different ways. And I did an uh, episode on narcissistic trauma bonding a little while ago. And there's some really good work done by uh, Christine Hammond, who I've had on my podcast a couple of times around trauma bonding. But with trauma bonding, a lot of people forget, in essence, the, the negatives of a, an emotionally abusive relationship and they just clean to those little bits of, but when he was good, you know, but, but he's not all bad. And, uh, and, and I, I talk about this whenever I get a chance, but when people have to really cling to a, a handful of these positive interactions or positive memories with a partner, that isn't normal. I mean, that should be the exception. And yes, I'm shooting on you right now, but that is the exception. Uh, we want to have relationships where we have a nice, secure attachment, a secure base. That's my person. That's my guy. That's my girl. And so in those relationships, the norm is that person is there for me or they're trying desperately to 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 communicate better or we're working on things not it's pretty bad and then every now and again okay there's a glimmer of hope a matter of fact I'll, I'll retell the story but I can remember years ago one of the first clients where the the client uh, the, the wife that was in front of me 
her husband was narcissistic and we were just uncovering things over and over. But when we were all together, he did a really convincing job of making her kind of feel like she was the crazy one. And I remember at one point he admitted that, and she, she knew where he had been at this particular time. And he admitted that, you know what? I, I, yeah, I wasn't where I said I was. And he had actually called her and said, you know, I, I was going to lie, but I just, I just told you the truth. And so we came in and we celebrated that in therapy. But here's the problem. That was the one time that we could go back to over and over again, but we celebrated it. We celebrated it over and over when I was in individual sessions with her or when I had couple sessions where, well, there was that one time where he, he realized the error of his ways and he told the truth and we would hang on to that. Like, yeah, so, so everything's great, right? But, but no, I mean, you know, we need that to be the norm. So changes in consciousness and for, include forgetting the traumatic event or feeling detached from your emotions or body, which is called disassociation. Negative self-perception. Again, these are symptoms of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. You may feel guilt or shame to the point that you feel completely different from other people. And that isolation, they call it sequestering a lot of times in narcissistic abuse or narcissistic relationships, where you start to feel different from other people, where you start to even get, feel like you need to be isolated. And I guess the sequestering part, I, I kind of stepped out of bounds a little bit there. The sequestering is when the narcissistic or emotional abuser actually, actually, you know, kind of forbids you from interacting with family or friends because they don't want you to talk bad about them. But so in CPTSD, we've got this negative self-perception of feeling guilt or shame to where you start to feel like you are truly different in, in the kind of the what's wrong with me way. And difficulty with relationships, again, another complex post-traumatic stress disorder symptom. You might find yourself avoiding relationships with other people out of mistrust or feeling of not knowing how to interact with others. On the other hand, some might seek relationships with people who harm them because it feels familiar. And that, that part is absolutely fascinating where people do feel they, and they get scared um, of, you know, if I exit a relationship with someone that is emotionally abusive, I worry that it will even be worse in my next relationship. There's a distorted perception of the abuser, so this can include becoming preoccupied with the relationship between you and your abuser. It can also include preoccupation with revenge or giving your abuser complete power over your life. And so that distorted perception, um, I've, I've often wanted to do an episode on what is called Stockholm syndrome, which is where people actually fall in love with kidnappers or abusers or really, you know, that that's who they find their validation from. They almost form this codependent relationship with their abuser. Uh, and by that, I mean a codependent relationship and they get their sense of worth over how the person, how the abuser, how the emotional abuser reacts and how they treat the, the, the person that is experiencing these traumatic symptoms. Man, as a matter of fact, now all the, I mean, I feel like all these things are kind of clicking. Um, I, I am, and I've, I've said this before, but I am very close to putting together a, uh, a trauma bonding group, uh, women who are in narcissistic or relationships with narcissistic men, and they are trying to escape this trauma bond. So I would please ask you to reach out to me at contact at Tony over bay.com and uh, let me know if you want to be part of this it's a completely anonymous group that is uh, beginning to form um, also uh, and again we're still in these symptoms of complex post-traumatic stress disorder a loss of symptoms of meanings and i thought this was fascinating uh, our systems of meanings systems of meaning refer to your religion or beliefs about the world for example you might lose faith in some long-held beliefs you had or develop a strong sense of despair or hopelessness about the world. So it's important to note that symptoms of both PTSD and CPTSD can vary widely between people, and even within one person over time. 
the article goes on to point out that, for example, you might find yourself avoiding social situations for a period of time only to start seeking potentially dangerous situations months or years later, which can, again, lead to that emotional dysregulation. So they say that if you're close to somebody with CPTSD, it's also important to remember that their thoughts and beliefs might not always match up with their emotions. They might know that logically they should avoid their abuser. However, they might also hold on to a sense of affection toward them, which again is that complex trauma bond. So what causes complex post-traumatic stress disorder or CPTSD? The the article says researchers are still trying to figure out exactly how traumatic, traumatic stress affects the brain and leads to conditions like CPTSD. However, studies on animals suggest that trauma can have lasting effects on the amygdala the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex. And and this is going to go more into, again, this article that I'm going to do or this podcast I want to do here in another week or two on the the narcissistic or emotionally abusive relationships and some some over time, uh, long-term damage that that can do to the brain. So they go on to say that the, the amygdala, the hippocampus, and the prefrontal cortex, these areas play a big role in both our memory function and how we respond to stressful situations. That amygdala is your, it's your Neanderthal brain. It's your, it's your, um, oh, what's the Neanderthal caveman brain, the reactionary brain. So what, what, and here's a little heads up to the podcast that I'm going to do here in another week or two. Um, it talks about how your amygdala actually becomes enlarged, enlarged. It's like you, you're, you are relying on your amygdala for survival when you are in one of these long-term emotionally abusive relationships. So that that is, makes sense why someone is more emotionally reactive. So the trauma, again, having long-lasting effects on the amygdala, hippocampus, and prefrontal cortex. So any type of long-term trauma over several months or years can lead to CPTSD. However, it seems to appear frequently in people who have been abused by someone who is supposed to be their caregiver or protector. And that, that is the part that, uh, I mean, I, mean I, I swear I almost feel emotional right now where and this is part of a, this part of this group that I'm trying to put together with the help of some very, very brave people, um, which we'll talk about more down the road. But people who, uh, one, you know, a couple of people in particular who even looked at that concept of betrayal trauma with regard to pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior. And they said, man, I, I'm noticing some similarities in, in, what that feels like for someone who is in a an emotionally abusive relationship, maybe a relationship with a narcissistic um, abuser, because here's the person that you are trying to go to um, to tell you that all is right in the world. The person that you are opening up to, the person you're sharing your heart with, the person you're being vulnerable to, and then if this person, your caregiver or your protector. Um, is someone who then turns around and gaslights you or someone who then doesn't, doesn't have any empathy for you or doesn't, it doesn't have the ability to have empathy. Um, then that can lead to these symptoms of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So examples include survivors of, survivors of human trafficking, our ongoing childhood sexual abuse by a relative. And then I would also say that this is, well, actually they lead into this with uh, other examples of long-term trauma include the first one they mentioned, ongoing physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. And these things happen in relationships where people don't feel that they have a voice or where there isn't a, uh, a strong or productive communication style in place that can lead or feel like ongoing physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. Uh, also, other examples of long-term trauma include being a prisoner of war or living in an area of war for long periods of time or ongoing childhood neglect. 
So they say, are there any risk factors? Well, anybody can develop CPTSD. Some people may be more likely to develop it than others. Aside from having uh, past traumatic experiences, risk factors may include things like an underlying mental illness, such as anxiety or depression, or a family history of it, or inherited personality traits, which is often referred to as one's temperament, or how your brain regulates hormones and neurochemicals, especially in response to stress. So some of this, you know, can just be uh, kind of this perfect storm of, Maybe in a relationship with someone that is emotionally abusive, plus some good old passed down genetically um, DNA, you know, the way that the brain regulates hormones or neurochemicals, especially in response to stress. And there's also lifestyle factors, such as not having a strong support system or having a dangerous job. Um, and I can even say having young kids or being overly stressed or feeling overly taxed or uh, the death of a partner or any of these things can lead to um, this, these this feelings of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So the article, they go on to say, how is it diagnosed? CPTSD is still a relatively new condition. So doctors, uh, many doctors aren't aware of it. Many therapists aren't aware of it. So this can make it hard to get an official diagnosis. And they say that you might be diagnosed with PTSD instead of CPTSD. And there's no specific test for determining whether you have CPTSD but they suggest, and I like this, keeping a detailed log of your symptoms um, that can help you when it is, if, if and when it is time to make a more accurate diagnosis. Try to keep track of times when the symptoms started as well as any changes in them over time. And, and I'll tell you that there are a lot of people, and just I want to normalize this if this is you out there listening, who have kept a pretty detailed record, even a diary of a lot of the times where they have felt like they've been gaslit or where they haven't been supported emotionally. And so that can be, um, it can be be a bit therapeutic because it can also help you understand that, hey, I'm not making these things up. And there is a pattern over time of not being heard, of being made to feel like I'm the bad guy, of not being listened to, of not being able to go to somebody, go to my person in particular with the the challenges or struggles that I'm dealing with. They say that once you find a doctor, they'll start by asking about your symptoms as well as any traumatic events in your past. And for the initial diagnosis, you won't uh, likely need to go into too much detail if it makes you uncomfortable. Uh, Next, and this is uh, talking about the uh, how is it diagnosed most. Um, your doctor, your therapist, a licensed uh, clinical psychologist, they might ask about a family history of mental illness or other risk factors. And, and then they say, make sure to tell them about medications or supplements that you might take as well as recreational drugs that you use and try to be as honest as you can because uh, they, they, you want them to make the best recommendations for you. And if you've had symptoms of post-traumatic stress for at least a month, uh, the article goes on to say that they will, uh, and, they, and these symptoms interfere with your daily life, your doctor will likely start with a diagnosis of PTSD. And then depending on the traumatic event and whether you have a Additional symptoms, such as maybe ongoing relationship problems or trouble controlling your emotions, then if they are aware of CPTSD, then they may include a diagnosis of CPTSD as well. And they go on to say, keep in mind, you might need to see a few doctors before you find somebody that you feel comfortable with. And this is very normal, especially for people dealing with PTSD, um, with post-traumatic stress. And I think that's so important for a therapist as well, is if you are dealing with things that cause you anxiety or triggers, a lot of triggers in your life, um, it's even more important to find a mental health professional, a doctor, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a, a marriage family, a, you know, a licensed professional counselor, a therapist that you feel comfortable with. Because ultimately, um, we're not asking you to go into the therapist's office and jump right into exposure therapy. We're trying to say, hey, you need to feel you need to feel heard. You need to build a relationship or rapport with somebody that can help you through these symptoms. So, how is it treated? Um, they they say that there are several treatment options for CPTSD that can both reduce your symptoms and help you better manage. 
manage them. The first option they talk about is psychotherapy. That is uh, yours truly. Um, it's the folks at betterhelp.com slash virtual couch if you don't feel comfortable finding a therapist in your area. And you can even look on there for someone that works with PTSD or, and I, I can be honest, I haven't looked on there to see if there is the category or, or CPTSD. But if somebody is very familiar with uh, PTSD and they're a good therapist and they want to do all they can to help you, um, you can even point out this podcast to them. So psychotherapy, and they say they talk about it, involves talking with a therapist either alone or in a group. And uh, they say they, they talk about using cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, of course, if you've listened to my podcast, you know I'm a huge acceptance and commitment therapy fan. And that will help you identify kind of those, those uh, negative thought patterns. Um, and it gives you tools to kind of turn away from those, to diffuse from those, to be more present. If you find somebody with uh, the modality I enjoy, acceptance and commitment therapy, then you're probably going to kind of dial down into some nice mindfulness skills. You're going to kind of kind of figure out a little bit more of the direction that you want to go. And you'll see, and here's where I think this is pretty key too, you'll see that these CPTSD symptoms are some of the things that are probably keeping you away from living the life that you truly want to live. And I don't mean that in just the cliched way, but there's probably a lot of fear and anxiety around moving forward or moving in a different direction, especially if you're in a relationship with someone who is emotionally abusive, who is telling you, no, you don't want to do that, or why would you do that, or I can't believe you're going to do that. And those are all things that lead to additional symptoms or feelings of anxiety and depression. Um, they also mention on here that uh, you might be recommended uh, something called a DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy. Actually, I'm trying to bring on an, uh, an, an expert to talk about DBT as well. That one's pretty fascinating. Um, but it helps you better respond to stress and build stronger relationships with others. And here's why. Here's why I'm doing this episode today. The next thing it talks about is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, or EMDR. So EMDR is commonly used to treat PTSD, and it can be helpful for CPTSD as well. Uh, they talk about that you'll be asked briefly to think about traumatic moments while moving your eyes from either side to side or other techniques, having someone tap on your hands instead of moving your eyes, or you might have these um, therotappers or, or things that kind of vibrate back and forth in your hands. But all over, over time, um, it almost, it, well, it does, it helps desensitize you to traumatic memories and thoughts. Again, my friend Laura Abraham is going to come on and talk more about EMDR very, very soon. And then we can also talk about medication. Medication is traditionally used to treat depression, can also help with symptoms of CPTSD, and they tend to work best when combined with another form of treatment, such as psychotherapy. And they talk about uh, common antidepressants that are used for CPTSD may include um, Zoloft, Paxil, Prozac, those sort of things. So while they, they go on to share that while some people may benefit from using medications, these medications long-term, you may only need to take them for a short period of time while you learn new coping strategies. And it might be a place I get asked all the time the medication question. And when I talk about, um, I love to call it the emotional baseline, one of my uh, theory that I developed long ago, the emotional baseline theory where you, when you are feeling down, when things around you are pretty low, you're going to respond to the world in a lot, uh, in a much different way than when your baseline of emotions are much higher. So at times I do feel like medication, if you're hesitant to take it, that a, a medication can be a quick way to raise your emotional baseline up just enough to be able to do the work, uh, to be able to do some of this acceptance and commitment therapy work or cognitive behavioral therapy work, or just even to get your baseline up high enough to go see a therapist or, you know, a, a counselor. And so your, your, once you put those skills in play, then your emotional baseline will raise even higher. And so you may 
may absolutely be able to come off of the medication at some point. And at that point, your, yeah, your emotional baseline may drop a bit, but it will drop to a level where you can still use your tools. So, um, if medication frightens you, again, I'm, I'm, yeah, I went into being a therapist. It was funny. I, I think I was a little bit naive where I said, I'm, I'm going to tell everybody, Hey, why use medication? You're good. We got this. But over time, and especially I think that's where the CPTSD comes into play when people have had this long period or long pattern of emotional abuse or instability in their relationships, um, which has led to these feelings or this, even this diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder, they're, they're operating with a pretty low emotional baseline and it, and the, and the body keeps the score. So that baseline has become low over the years. And so it's not like the person set out in life to have a low emotional baseline and not be able to do the things that they wanted to do. As a matter of fact, that's what makes things even more frustrating. So even when people around them, bless their hearts, are saying, Hey, come on, you don't want to be like that. Just, just come on, do this. You know, just, just come out here. Just do this thing. It's not that the people don't want to do it. They feel like they just really can't. And so again, sometimes medication is just enough to raise that emotional baseline up to a place where then they can, they can go out and do, and they can go see a therapist. They can go reach out to their friends. They can get more involved back with their religious community. They can exercise all of these things. So please don't ever feel like medication is, uh, is, uh, is a negative. So they say, where can I find support? Having an underrecognized condition like CPTSD can be isolating. Uh, the article says if you feel like you need some extra support, the National Center for PTSD has several resources, including uh, a PTSD coaching app for your phone. And while a lot of these symptoms or a lot of these programs are geared toward people with PTSD, you still may find a lot of help there for many of your symptoms. There's also a nonprofit organization called Out of the Storm, and they have many online resources, including a forum, information sheets, book recommendations, specifically for complex, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And in their suggested reads, they do mention the body keeps the score, which is considered a must read for anybody recovering from trauma. And I need to do an episode on that sooner than later as well. There's also the complex PTSD workbook and also complex PTSD from surviving to thriving, which is a great resource for breaking down complex psychological concepts related to trauma. And uh, they, they even say in that book, Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving, the author is a licensed therapist who happens to also have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. All right. So, hey, I hope you can see the, the, the reason or the direction I was headed there in doing this episode on complex post-traumatic stress disorder. If you've been a virtual couch listener for a while, you know that I do quite a bit of um, podcast material on the concept of, of people that are in emotionally abusive relationships, including um, relationships with narcissists. I do a lot with trying to help people learn what to do in those situations. And here's, I'm going to be really raw and, and authentic and vulnerable if you're with me still, because um, hopefully if you are with me still, this might be something that you're, you're struggling with or dealing with, is that when I know that when you Google what to do if you were in a relationship, an emotionally abusive relationship or a, a, a relationship with a narcissist, I know that the Google, the Google um, just says go, you know, leave right now. And I understand how difficult that can be, especially because of things like a narcissistic trauma bond or when somebody feels like they do have these, these um, symptoms of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So I know it's a process. And, and part of the decision I made long ago in my practice was as much as I want to say to, to most of the people that would come into my office that are in these kind of relationships that, hey, go, you know, it can be causing a lot of emotional and, uh, and, and damage to you, to, to your family, that sort of thing. But I know how difficult that can be. So I know that it's a process. And I know that you're the only person that really is... Is, understands what you're going through. Those are your your private experiences, um, and so I know that it's a, it's a lot more than p- 
people just saying, hey, you need to go, you need to get out of there. So there, there are five things I often say. Number one is to get your emotional baseline up as high as you can, and that does involve self-care. Uh, the second thing is that you know, learn, learn what gaslighting is and be able to recognize that and know that, Hey, I'm not crazy and learn that, uh, that when that is happening, it kind of leads to the third thing I, I like to talk about, which is learn how to disengage from unproductive conversations, because it, as you've probably learned, they're not going to go anywhere and they're not going to be helpful. Uh, the fourth thing I talk about is learning how to set boundaries. And so boundaries can be really difficult. Boundaries can be walking away from a, um, from a conversation when it is not going well or not being productive or when he starts to yell or she starts to yell, a boundary looks like, hey, I, I'm just going to step away. And then the fifth thing, and this was from an article that I read long, long ago. Um, I think the site is called Shrink for Men um, with, I think, the number four. And it's a it's a female, um, I think she's a, either a therapist like myself or she might be a licensed uh, psychologist. But she she kind of laid out this concept of when you're in an emotionally abusive relationship that you have to recognize that there's most likely not anything that you're going to say or do that's going to cause that person that you are in the relationship with to have that aha moment or that epiphany. Because I think that's the, the hard part is that people are, and I've worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women and some men who are in these emotionally abusive relationships and they keep feeling like, man, if I just do the right thing, if I just say the right thing, if I just paint the right picture, if I, if I, if I do meals enough, if I, if I am, you know, emotionally intimate enough, if I'm physically intimate enough, whatever, I'll do something that then will cause him to say, okay. I get it. You know, you really are trying hard and I will be nice. And so unfortunately, um, you have to recognize that that's not, you're not going to have that aha moment. So those five things, I think a lot of times can help people with a little bit more of their emotional regulation just to get their feet underneath them, to kind of get some ground under their feet, to be able to know what to do next. So, um, hey, thanks for hanging in here a little bit longer. And uh, again, if you if you are interested in, in perhaps being part of a group that's dealing with some of this, maybe the narcissistic trauma bond or um, the betrayal trauma that, uh, that comes from being in a relationship with someone who is emotionally abusive, do please send me an email at contact at tonyoverbay.com. And, uh, and I will get you some information as that group begins to unfold. All right. Hey, thanks for sticking in here. If there's somebody that you feel could benefit from this podcast episode, please do me a favor and send it to them, especially ones like this, uh, things like complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and if you are hearing this, it doesn't mean that you have to go do something today. Just, uh, just start being a little bit more aware and know that you're okay. And, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna find some help and part, it's a process and I understand it's a process, but, um, the, the process starts by just getting more data get more awareness and hopefully this can be a source for that so truly spread the word if you feel like this can help somebody else and i will see you next time on the virtual couch